So we're kicking off a new series called Relatable on relationships. I don't know about you, but I'm pretty excited about that because, um, you know, relationships are tricky in life. And I don't know if you're dealing with any relationship issues. Anybody excited about a series on relationships? Uh, Passion City? Okay, that's pretty good. So um, anybody struggling with uh, unresolved conflict from the past that you'd like to know if reconciliation can happen? We're going to talk a little bit about that. Uh, anybody, husbands and wives, and you got some issues going on right now, it's okay to say that in front of them because they already know it. Um, it, it, we're going to talk about that a little bit. It's sons and daughters struggling with stuff with moms and dads. Moms and dads struggling, struggling with stuff with sons and daughters. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk a little bit about dating or relationships in this series. We're only going to get to do it in one day, not a whole series. We already did a whole series uh, a little bit earlier. Um, it was the Hey Guys Get a Clue series, but we called it Boy Meets Girl. And um, you know, our working subtitle of that series was Guys Need to Get a Clue. And the whole point of that series, by the way, if you just want, if you missed that series, was and kind of what we're going to zero in again on this one. I'm not going to tell you what week it is because I want the guys, the single guys to be here on that week. But it's just really all about the fact that guys need to get a clue. And, um, you know, we did a survey here. You remember taking the survey uh, at Passion City Church? Anybody take a survey? We got 6,000 responses to this survey. You know, we learned there are a lot of ladies that go to this church and there are a lot of single ladies that go to this church. And so if you're a guy here and you're looking for something like a relationship, I can't help you any more than the way we have already helped you. We, we transformed a Home Depot Expo into a house of God and filled it up with young, single, amazing, God-loving, God-fearing women. And if you're asking for more than that, I'm sorry, we can't do any more than that. We've pretty much teed it up for you about as good as we can. And what we need you to do now is step out of boyhood and into manhood and actually have a conversation with somebody. <laughs> And we need you to, you know, go ahead and, uh, and put the phone down and the text down and actually have a conversation with somebody and tell them what your heart's intentions are. And uh, I think that's going to work out. So we're going to do that message and, and relatable. That'll be fun. And um, so all the ladies will be here. Can I get an amen from the ladies, by the way? I saw, I saw some guys cheering for that one. I'm like, I don't know why they're cheering, you know. Um, but anyway, so we're going to talk about relationships on a lot of different levels, uh, and, I, and I love that because I really believe all of us at, at the bedrock want help in making our relationships healthier, more meaningful, and more fulfilling. And I love the way that we even put the design around this series to communicate that. One of the values we talked about, by the way, at us yesterday, one of our 13 uh, culture values and standards says that we design everything. Have you noticed that at Passion City Church? that we design everything here. If you haven't noticed that, then that's okay. You're, you, you're probably gifted at other things, but you may have noticed already that we take every little thing seriously. And so if you've seen the, the art for this, it came up during the giving. Can we put it up one more time? Isn't that cool looking? You're like, well, where do you get that? You go to like, you know, newseries.com and, you know, just like click on the art. No, we made that. We actually, that's a photograph of four people, by the way, sitting around a table. And I can tell you who they are because our team went and took the photograph. We took a whole bunch of photographs and decided which one we like best. And we put them behind this cool board of all these formulas because I think for a lot of us, when we look at relationships, that's what we see. I know that's what all the husbands in the room see when you think about relationships and marriage. You're thinking about equations that you don't know exactly how to solve, and that's exactly where we are in a lot of our relationships. We're like, I know there's a formula. I know there's a way for this to work good. I'm not 100% sure I know exactly what it is. And then we put this cool title. Our team came up with this, which I love, because what, what, what is the question that's being asked by the design that we're going to see every week when we come into this relationship series? It's asking a question 
question. And what is the question? The question is, I'll help you, I'll give you a hint, is, are you, I'll give you a bigger hint, are you able to relate? So see, we're asking you, you didn't know that, but maybe subconsciously you did. We're asking you a question by the very way we design the art for the new series that we're gonna be doing for all these weeks. You said, but I had no idea you put that much thought into all this stuff. We put so much thought into this, it'd blow your mind. Because what we wanted to do was ask a question right off the bat. Are you able to relate? Are you the kind of person that's gonna move through life that's able to have relationships that are meaningful and fulfilling and significant? Are you gonna be the kind of husband that's able to relate? Are you gonna be the kind of coworker, friend, who's able to relate to other people? Because I think a lot of us sometimes think, you know what, other people have that personality where they're, they're effervescent and everybody loves them and they're, they're a people person. And then we say, well, I'm not really a people person. So you know, for me, relationships don't come easily and I'm not really good at relationships. They're, they're a lot better than me at relationships. But I believe God has put us on planet Earth with seven plus billion people, and he's connected us into relationships that are not going to go away. Your parents are going to be your parents. Hello? You can't get different parents. I mean, you can get different step-parents, but you can't get different parents. So you can marry somebody and get some more parents, but your parents are your parents. Your kids are your kids. Kids, your mom and dad, that's the mom and dad you got. Some of you are in business together with partners, and they're your partners. They're going to be your partners today, tomorrow, and for the foreseeable future, they're going to be your partners. Some of you are married to someone, and they are, for the foreseeable future, going to be your partner, and you have to be able to relate to them. And that's why we're wading into this series together, because we want God to do the kinds of things in our heart to make us the kinds of people who other people want to be in relationships with. And we want to jump over the hurdles of, you know, that's not my thing, or that's not my strength, or I'm not really a people person. But we want to ask the question, God, am I able to relate? And how can I relate better? How can I be that kind of person that makes relationships work? And I want to put out a big idea today. Before we get to husbands and wives and dating and potential spouses and friendships and business relationships, I want to put out a big idea today. I want to let you think about it. You can agree with it or disagree with it. You can, you can see it uh, this way or you can see it a different way. But I think it is a fundamental idea that we have to all rally around before we start talking about the other relationships in our lives. And this is that idea. I believe that to the degree to which you and me receive what God has given us and what God is giving us. So let me back up and say that again. To the degree to which we are able to receive. By the way, doesn't that sound good already? Because that feels better than a series on relationships where it begins with to the degree that you're able to do or to give. We're, we're starting with a platform of receiving. So you should have amened already. You should have clapped right there in the middle of my sentence to know that, hey, we're beginning with something that you actually receive and not something that you have to figure out how to do. To the degree to which you and I receive what God has given and is given us, to that degree, we are going to be able to have meaningful and fulfilling relationships with yourself, with ourselves, and with other people. Let me say it a different way. 
your ability to receive what God has given and is giving you. And do you understand that God is wanting to give you amazing things right now? Right now, God is wanting to give amazing things into your life. And there are two reasons why we don't take on board what God's wanting to give us right now. Number one is we don't think we're worthy of God giving us amazing things in our lives. And we say things like this to God, I know you're good and I know you're amazing and I know you're perfect, but I don't think I am worthy of receiving amazing things and beautiful things and perfect things. So I'm not going to receive what you're trying to give me right now. The second reason we don't receive what God's trying to give us is because we've heard another voice in our lives that got us deceived into some other path of thinking what we have is currently better than what God wants us to give or receive. And we heard that so beautifully in the giving today. I would have to let go of what I have so I could open my hands to receive what God wants to give me. And I'm not sure what God wants to give me is better than what I currently have. And we get stuck in that zone. So we've got stuff in our lives that's keeping us from receiving the best of God for our lives because we think what we already currently have in our lives is possibly better than what God would give us for our lives. Or we're over here on the other side of the equation saying, you know, I know God is good and I know God gives good gifts and I know God really does want to give amazing things to us, but I don't feel worthy of God doing that in my life. And so I'm not going to receive what God has for me. And I think this is the fundamental idea today. The degree to which, or the ability to which you and I receive what God has given us, which is everything, by the way, and what he currently wants to give us, which is the unfolding of everything to that degree, that is going to be the number one shaper of your ability to have a meaningful and fulfilling relationship with yourself. Hello? Because that's where relationships start. Your relationship with you is, apart from God, your relationship with you is the most important relationship you have. And to have a meaningful and successful relationships with other people. And I know that, you know, when we get in our conversations, if you, if you go to counseling, by the way, about any issue in your life, I, I would imagine in the first second or certainly by the third counseling session, your mom or dad are gonna come up, Amen. And so on a human level, <clears throat> when we start thinking about our ability to, to fit in with other people, it seems like on a human level, it always goes back to our, our, our mom. Man, my mom, man, she jacked me up. My mom, this and that and the other. And because of her, I see myself this way and I see other people this way and I'm unable to do this and I always do that. Or because of my dad, I have this viewpoint or that viewpoint or these tendencies. And I'm not denying any of that. So can I make that really clear today? I'm not a relationship expert, but I would say that our mom and dad are huge shapers in the way that we end up living out our lives. And I'm not trying to glaze over that today, but what I do want to do, do today is I want to jump over that today because I believe that God trumps our mama and God trumps our daddy. At the end of the day, I believe the love of God trumps whatever else we have experienced in life. Therefore, the fundamental idea is not what was your dad like and not what was your mom like. The fundamental idea, because you might not can change that, the fundamental idea is how willing are you and what is your capacity to receive what God is wanting to give you today? Because that's going to be not your mom and not your dad. That's going to be the number one shaper of your ability to have a meaningful and successful relationship with yourself and with the people around you. And that's really the heart 
of your marriage. It's the heart of how you're getting along with your roommate. It's the heart of how you're gonna approach a relationship with a boyfriend or girlfriend. It's at the heart of you reconciling relationships that have been busted apart, where everybody's waiting each other out on who's gonna make the first move and who's gonna step in and help this thing be repaired or can it be repaired. I believe it begins with our ability to receive what God has given us and wants to give us in life. I'll show you a way that that plays out because there there are a couple flaws in our relationships and I just wanna touch on a few of them. Number one flaw I think that we experience in relationships is we expect more of other people than they can realistically be and give to our lives. Hello? We expect more of other people than they can be and give to our lives. Let me give you an example of that. So you're a young single person. You're, uh, you, you, you're hoping to find a Mr. Perfect one day. And in your mind, you've already figured it out. You know, maybe you got some stuff that you've dealt with, uh, but that's okay because this dude is gonna arrive and um, he's gonna have perfect hair, best hair ever. And, um, or maybe you're into no hair. That's great too. Um, and whatever it is that, you know, floats your boat, you're thinking he's gonna arrive and he's coming in on a magic carpet. And when he sweeps into the, in, into the room, the, the temperature's gonna change, the atmosphere's gonna change, the music's gonna play, the lights are gonna come on, that magic carpet's gonna swoop down, and he's gonna look me in my eyes, and he is gonna tell me I'm the greatest thing that ever happened. And I mean, right then and there, everything I've wrestled with in life is gonna resolve right in that moment in the hands of this wonderful man that comes into my life. And he's gonna become the fountainhead of everything I've been needing all of my life. And that's a great dream, except for the fact that he's coming in a Toyota Corolla (laughs) dismissing a hubcap on one tire. And he's not only gonna become the fountainhead for all the things you've needed in life. He's gonna become the mirror that shows you all the things that you've needed in your life. And he is not going to solve and resolve everything you've longed for in your life. He is only gonna amplify your annoyance factor and your frustration factor about all the unresolved things in your life. Because he's not gonna be perfect. But thank God Jesus is, and he's already, he's already available. (laughs) Currently available. Relationship status, available. When would you like to begin a meaningful relationship? I'm available today. And I will come into the room, change the atmosphere, change the temperature, the lights will come on, the music will play, I will look you in your eyes and I will tell you, you are the greatest thing that ever happened in the history of the world and I will never let you down, I will never back out on you, I will never change on you, I will never do anything but support you all the days of your life. And I'm available. And I think sometimes we look at our spouses and our neighbors and our whoever, and we say, you have to be for me everything I need, and it's putting unrealistic expectations on other people, and relationships start fragmenting under that. 
I think the other thing that is a big flaw in relationships is we expect way more from others than we expect from ourselves in most relationships. We hold other people to a higher standard than we want God to hold us to. Hello? I mean, they're amening. They work for Passion City Church. They have to amen. That's why you hear amens come out of this section over here, because we're a we. We're a us. We believe in each other. And if somebody's doing the giving, you're like, why are the people shouting over there? Because we're a we over there, okay? Somebody's doing the hosting. Why are people laughing over there? Because we're a we over there. Somebody's preaching, teaching. Why are the people amening over there? Because we're a we over there. But I don't know about everybody else over here. I'm not sure how this is landing on everybody else. But I think sometimes we hold other people to a higher standard then we want to be held to by God. And we're so amazing at that. Did you ever get in a conflict? Anybody ever had an argument with somebody? Uh, husbands, wives, any husbands, wives argue here? And, uh, and somebody makes a really big case, one or the other, I don't know who it was, the last week. And they come into you and they say, look, I, I just need to tell you. You're, you're, I just need to let you know how I feel. And you're, you're really not this and that and the other and blah, 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 blah. And here's the four things you're not doing. And here's the, the one thing you need to change. And here's two specific examples from yesterday that are, are good, you know, kind of like if you, need, if you need a picture, you know, if it all looks like formula and mystery, then here's a picture. Don't do this or do this more. And then they give you the backstory. And, you know, you've always been like that. And you've done this in the past. And remember 20 years ago and on that day we were on vacation in Florida and you did it then on that day. And, you know, it, all this whole thing comes along. And how do you respond to that typically? How do you respond to that typically? Typically you say, wow, that is so true. Thank you for telling me that. Because I want to be a man or a woman whose life stands the test of time, who can provide shade for the generations to come, built on the foundation of Jesus that shines light to the world. Thank you for telling me that today. You're absolutely right. Well, let's break it down. What should I start working on today? You know? No, but that's normally not what happens. What normally happens? What does the other person respond with? Well, it's funny that you're saying that. <laughs> because, you know, let's go back to point B over there for a second. If there's anybody who, like, is a grandmaster international champion of that, that would be you. And I just, it's amazing that you're telling me that you think I should fix that because come on, if somebody writes the that for dummies, it's gonna be you because you, you have got that down. You have mastered that. You're amazing at that. You are like the best one of those I've ever met. Let me give you a oh, hundred examples. You have a second, that time, that time, that time. That's what you're doing that to me. You see, we have an amazing way of always flipping it around to the other person and saying, you, this standard. Me, on the other hand, different standard. And what I expect from you is certainly not what I necessarily want all the time from God. I want him to give me way more slack than I'm gonna give you right now. And I think that what, the way we blow all this up is by putting the gospel in the middle of our relationships. And I wanna do that today by asking three questions. Number one question is, can God, specifically, can Jesus relate to you? The second question I wanna to ask today is, how does Jesus relate to you? Because that's gonna be an important definer of how we relate to each other. 
And the third question I want to ask is, how does this impact the way I relate to others? Can Jesus relate to you? How does Jesus relate to you? And how does this impact the way I relate to others? First question, can Jesus relate to you? I wish we had the ability to electronically answer this question right now. Describe yourself in one sentence, 12 words or less. I want you to think about that in your mind. It's challenging. You had a little tablet right now. It was in your seat when you got in. You had a little stylus and you, you wrote your description on there and they all started appearing on the screens anonymously. We didn't know who wrote what. How would you describe your life in 12 words or less? I mean, just think about it. Can you think about that? Is that too complicated? I mean, what would you say? Um, entrepreneur, successful, struggling in my marriage. Um, 16 year old, frustrated and really angry. Um, second marriage and struggling with my weight. Reach my goals, but not satisfied. I mean, but what would be that capstone? Mother of four, homeschooler. I mean, what would be the capstone of your life? And if we saw all those 12 word summations of our lives come on screen, we would realize today how many different kinds of people are in this room right now and what's underneath the surface of our lives. And I think sometimes the question is, I know God is great and I believe in, in a creator and all that, but are you convinced that Jesus can relate to you? Is he able to relate to you? And I think it's an important question. I want to give you a couple of answers. I believe the answer is a resounding yes, and here's why. Firstly, because he entered time and space. So we're going to talk theologically just for a second. Jesus existed outside of time and space. From eternity past to eternity future, Jesus has always been Jesus. But then Jesus created a universe, and he created a universe with time and with space. And if that wasn't enough, then he entered into time and he entered into space. And we don't think like this about Jesus enough, but he gave up the freedom of floating above time and space and he took on the constraints of entering into time and space. So before he was born, Jesus could go from one side of eternity to the other side of eternity faster than you could bat your eyelash. But when he entered into time and space, if he wanted to go from Jerusalem to Galilee, he had to walk on a road. And it took the same amount of time for him to walk as it would take for an able-bodied one of us to walk on the road. And he chose to enter into time and space. And we're going to talk about why that matters. The second thing Jesus did was he took on flesh and blood. So he could have come down. He could have done it and just come down as Jesus. He could have just come down out of the sky. There I am. But he was born of a woman. Now, this is the miracle of the immaculate conception of God by the Holy Spirit in the womb of a virgin girl. But come on, can we just say, wow, one more time today that God Almighty was born of a woman. He had an umbilical cord. He needed to be washed off and bathed, the Son of God. He entered into time and space, and he took on flesh and blood. Why did he do this? Primarily to accomplish his mission of being the sacrifice for the sins of the world. He needed to come into time and space and take on flesh and blood. 
But the ancillary benefit of this is enormous today that not only did he come to accomplish his primary mission, but the fallout of it was by being in time and space by choice and taking on flesh and blood by choice. He came now to the place that he can totally relate to you and to me. He is able to relate to you. So when you pray to Jesus, he's not in time and space anymore. He's at the right hand of God, almighty sitting on a throne above the foundation of the world. He now runs it all and rules it all again outside of time and space. He works in time and space, but he's not limited by time and space. And he is not limited by flesh and blood, but he was. And when you talk to him, you need to have in the front of your mind, this Jesus I'm talking to knows what I'm dealing with. You're like, well, how can he relate? Well, a few ways that he could relate in time and space and flesh and blood. One, he was tempted in every way, Hebrews 4 says, just like we are. Did you know that? Did you know that Jesus was tempted in every single way like you are? Yet without sin, but everything you've wanted to do and I've wanted to do, he wanted to do in some way, shape, or form. Whatever was stirring in you in that temptation moment was stirring in him in a temptation moment. He was patient. He had to learn patience. I mean, think about this. Jesus was born and died at the age of 33 years old with a singular mission. He had to wait 33 years for God's plan to be fulfilled in his life. Some of us have been waiting 33 minutes and we're like, you know, Lord, you need to intervene. Jesus, you need to solve this problem. Jesus, you need to get in here and fix everything. He's like, I waited 33 years. I get it. I understand that sometimes God's plans don't click down on a day-to-day calendar. Well, it didn't happen yesterday. It's certainly going to happen today. And Jesus is like, it might not happen today. It might, it might be 33 years. I had to wait 33 years. You know why? Because the Son of Man really can't die for the sins of the world when he's eight. And a 14-year-old doesn't belong on a cross. It takes a man, the Son of God, becoming the Son of Man. And it takes history to line up on the right day so all these prophecies of the past can be fulfilled. And that day's coming when I'm 33 years old, 9 a.m. on Passover Friday. And Jesus knew that the whole time. And he was patient and waiting out his father's plan. You're like, God, that makes me feel better. And when you're talking to him, he gets it because he's able to relate. He was misunderstood. Just gonna give you a couple of these from scripture. You ever been misunderstood? He was tired of places where he just said, I've just done too much and healed too many people and talked to too many people and been with too many people and I'm just worn out. He was frustrated. One time he got so frustrated, he turned all these tables over in the temple courtyard. Have you ever felt like that? Just going in your office one day and just going office to office and just like, that's what I think. That's what I think. Cubicle, turning that over too. Have you ever felt like that before? He felt like that and he actually did it. He was Jesus and he got away with it. He had his motives questions. He was alone. He was attacked. He was mistrusted. Can I throw another one out there? He was single. All the single people said amen. According to scripture, Jesus was single for 33 years of his life, and he accomplished his whole mission in life without a spouse. So if you're in a journey of being single right now, and you're wondering if 
Jesus can relate to you. I'm telling you, he can relate to you. Now, if you've got marriage problems, he might not can relate as well, but if you're single, he can relate to you. He can relate to you at the level of trusting God to fulfill his purpose for your life without a spouse. Did you ever think about that? Jesus goes, I know, I did that. Oh, but you were Jesus. No, I was in time and space and in flesh and blood just like you. Oh, okay, well, at least you know what I'm feeling right now. Yeah, I know what you're feeling right now. I can relate to you. He was abandoned, he was betrayed, he was abused, and he was applauded. He knew both what it felt like to have everybody turn their back on him, and he also knew what it felt like if you're one of the beautiful people in life to have a whole crowd cheer for him. And so if you're like, I don't know if Jesus can relate to me because I'm winning right now. And you know, he was a humble, meek, and mild servant who died. Oh no, he knows what it feels like to ride down a street and have people throw branches in front of him and say, man, you're the greatest thing that ever happened. He knows what that feels like. He had one follower who was a fisherman, who was a man of man, men, took his sword out one night, tried to cut a guy's head off in the, in the dark. Couldn't see him good. Guy dodged, he ended up cutting his ear off. Peter, Peter was grit and grime. He was tough and rough. So if you think Jesus needed a manicure every other day and has like a globe permanently painted above his head and has like that olive complexion that never had any scratches on it at all and his beard was all, always perfectly manicured and never had any knots or you know, gristle in it or leftover food particles or anything like that, you need to know that Peter thought, I can hang with this guy, this guy's tough. He also had a follower who was a tax collector who was in high finance. So if you're one of these finance guys, you know, you work on Wall Street or you work in the Atlanta Financial Corridor or you do exotic investments or derivatives or whatever your line of work is and you're thinking, you know, Jesus is great for the weekend, but you know, my line of work's pretty complex and you know, the things I deal with every day are pretty complicated. Jesus is like, look, I, I got a tax collector and pulled him into my inner circle. And by the way, your exotic investments and derivatives aren't really all that complicated to me. In fact, I can explain them better to you because there's a couple holes in the things you're working on right now that maybe cause the, cause the entire economy to go under if you don't pay more attention to what I'm trying to help you see. Jesus can relate to you. He can relate to the rich. I think sometimes we think Jesus is only for the you know, church people and we live in high society and we run with the fast crowd and we have the who's who over to our house. We'll invite Jesus over because he's fine with that. It says in scripture he went to a party at the richest guy's house in town. Isn't that beautiful? He's got nothing against rich people. And he just rolled right on in there and he was perfect in that environment. Now there was a prostitute that came in the back and wanted to wipe his feet with her tears and that was probably awkward for some people. So you need to hire more security if you're having one of those kind of parties and Buckhead and Jesus is coming, but you wanna keep those people out. But I mean, he could roll with people on both sides of the street. You're like, well, I'm a CEO and I'm a big deal. I don't know if Jesus can really relate to all the things I'm working on. Well, hello, guess what, Mr. CEO? Jesus actually made you. Mrs. CEO, can I tell you, Jesus made you. Jack Welch, he made him. Jim Collins, he made him. Put him in a boardroom, he's fine. Hi guys, how are y'all? I made all y'all. Hello ladies, how are you? I made all of y'all. Oh, I thought you were Jesus and you only knew scripture and we're talking about big business deals here and a lot of transactions and we're changing the world and I didn't know if you could hang with that. So I ain't hang with you, I made you. Oh, yeah. The poorest of the poor and the richest of the rich, and the toughest of the tough. The ladies in the story, the men in the story, Jesus somehow had this amazing ability to be able to relate 
to them all. So what are you struggling with right now? You talk to Jesus about it. He's not gonna look at you and go, oh man, I don't know. He's gonna go, oh, I know. Time and space, flesh and blood, I know. Second question is, how does he relate? This is pretty amazing. How does Jesus relate to you? Are you ready for these? You should write these down. Number one, he does not give us what we deserve. That's how he relates to you. He does not give you what you deserve. Psalm 103, I love the context of this. This is what it says, beginning in verse eight. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor, nor will he harbor his anger forever. For he does not, we should read this together. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. That's how Jesus relates to you. You can count on him to not treat you the way you deserve to be treated. It's beautiful. And then he goes on to say what he does. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. And as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. For as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. You say, well, my father didn't have compassion on me. But you can understand that a really good father does have compassion on his children. You can understand that, right? And so in the same way, God, our Father, has compassion on those who fear him. Why? Next verse is pretty amazing and insightful because he knows how we are formed. We just talked about it. How does God know how you are formed? What, is he a molecular biologist? Is he a geneticist? What, what is he that lets him know how we were formed? How does he know how you were formed? Hello? Because he formed you. So he knows how you were formed. He knows how fragile you are. He knows how frail you are. He knows that without him, you're just dust of earth. That's what he says. He says he knows that we are dust. He remembers that we are dust. He knows that you and me are dust with the breath of God inside of us. And that's pretty fragile and pretty frail. And he already knows that about us. So he says, you know what I'm going to do? I, I'm not going to treat you the way you deserve to be treated. That's how I'm going to relate to you. Secondly, he's going to meet us more than halfway. So he's not going to say, here's heaven and here's you, and I'll come to here if you'll come to here. No, he said, I'm going to come all the way to you. He's merciful when we are wrong. He's gracious when we are stubborn. And he loved us before we were lovable. And if you put the little design parentheses on it, what that really says is he loved us before we were able to love him. When we were dead in our sins, he loved us, and we weren't even able to to love him. We weren't love able. We weren't lovable. And he loved us. That's how Jesus relates to you. He does not give you what you deserve. Amen. I mean, is anybody excited about that? He does not give us what we deserve. So what we deserved was the recompense of our sins. And he said, no, I'm going to because of my love, which is higher than the heavens, I'm going to take your sins and move them as far as the east from the west. And I'm not going to give you what you deserve. I'm going to give you grace instead of death. I'm going to give you grace instead of judgment. I'm going to give you mercy. So he's merciful when we're wrong. He's gracious when we're stubborn. He loved us before we were lovable. So qu third question, how does this impact how we relate to others? Well, this brings us back to our first question. I think it, it impacts how we relate to others because in the same measure we receive, we give. That's what 1 John 4 says. And this is the last text I want to touch on today. In 1 John 4, we see the gospel coming in the middle of our relationships. And it's either amen-worthy or it's groundbreaking and revolutionary. 
It's seismic for our relationships. Verse seven, dear friends, if you have a translation that says beloved, congratulations, because don't you like that word better right there? It means that you are be loved. You're loved by almighty God, the great I am, whose name is be loves you. You're beloved, but dear friends is okay. I don't like it as much, but it's cool. Uh, dear friends, sounds a little more like we're at a coffee shop. Dear friends, let us love one another. So that's gonna be the goal. Broken relationship, husband, wife, mom, dad, son, daughter, friend, coworker, let us love one another. For love comes from God. So there, there's your whole message for today in a verse. Love comes from God. So it doesn't say let us love one another and you gotta figure out how to do that. It says let us love one another but love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God and everyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. Hello. So if you're not loving, it's not because of your dad. It's because you don't know God. If you're not loving other people, it's not because you're of your ex-wife. It's because you don't know God. If you're not loving, it's not because you moved four times when you're in middle school. It's because you don't know God. And maybe you did move four times in middle school and maybe your dad was jacked up and maybe your ex-wife, you know, did sort of rain on your parade in a, in a monster-sized way. But we're not glazing over that. We're just jumping over that and saying, I know, I know that was all messed up, but God isn't messed up because God doesn't love. He is love. It's not one of the things God does. It's actually who God is. And when you come into a relationship with God, you are coming into a relationship with love. And because of that relationship of God, of love in our lives, we then have the capacity capacity to love each other. And if you don't love each other, it's not because somebody else's fault. It's because we don't know God. So this is the simple reality of where we are. And then he unpacks that for us in the next verse. He says that whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. And this is how God showed his love among us. So let's get specific about it. This is how. He sent his one and only son into the world that we, can we say we, can we say we together, that we, can we say we, that we, as all of us, might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, because we weren't able to love, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, <laughs> beloved, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. I love that he didn't just say, since God loved us. John 3, 16 doesn't say God loved the world. It says God so loved the world. This passage doesn't say since God loved us. It says, since God so loved us. What does the so mean? It just means, oh, wow, this is incredible. Since God so loved us. It's a qualifier that just takes a casual word and puts it up on a, on a whole new heavenly scale. God so loved you. He so loved us. He has so demonstrated overwhelming, triumphing love to us. Then we ought to, having such a great love, love one another. What is it speaking to? To, to that same measure with which we're loved, we love. So that's why the gospel has to be in the middle of our relationships. Let me say it a different way. When we come to know God, God dispenses grace and mercy with a shovel. Do you know what I'm talking about? 
You, you need grace? I mean, we're getting a shovel way bigger than this one, the biggest one we could get. And I mean, it's a shovel full of grace on your life. You need more today? Well, my mercies are new every single day. So when you wake up, just imagine tomorrow that there's an angel standing by the bed and he's just shoveling mercy and pouring it on you before you even hit the snooze button tomorrow. I'm assuming you're gonna hit the snooze button and he's just saying mercy on your life. This is not yesterday's mercy. This is new mercy today. I got a shovel. We got lots of angels and lots of shovels and it's like mercy on your life today. Mercy on your life. Big shovel of mercy on your life. Do you, have you messed up a lot in life? I got grace. I got a big mountain called Calvary back here and I'm just gonna start down here and I'm just gonna put grace on your life and I'm using a big shovel of forgiveness and I'm putting a big shovel of my kindness and I'm putting a big shovel of my righteousness and I mean, we got, we're just getting shovelfuls of the grace and mercy of God. Some of you come to Passion City Church because you know we use a shovel at Passion City Church and you're like, man, I need to know that I'm under, under grace. I need to know that God still loves me. I need to know that power of salvation in my life and you show up here week after week because you know the cross is going to be lifted up and grace is going to be on display. And we say, thank you, God, that you have so loved us. Shovelfuls of grace. And then we go to the people in our lives and we say, oh, you need some grace? Oh, I'll give you some grace. You need some mercy? Oh man, I'm full of mercy. You need a little kindness? Oh, I got kindness. We celebrate the shovel and we dispense with the spoon. It's because we're flawed in our thinking. And we have a tendency to expect more from and treat others differently than what we want God to treat us with. And from God, we want the shovel. But so many times, isn't it true, to the world around us, we carry the spoon. And do you know why that is? This is pretty powerful for us to get our heads around today. That when we get the shovel and we're more prone to give the spoon, it means that we really have not ever received the shovel, but we have only received and believed in the spoon. It means that we sang about and celebrated and amen to the shovel but all we really ever got from God was a spoon. And we said, man, God's grace is amazing. Not to you, it's not. Like, oh no, it is. Love's higher than the heavens are above the earth. Far as the east is from the west, that's how far he's removed our transgressions from us. And I'm like, no, not for you. For you, God's love is about the size of a quarter teaspoon. Because what we dispense is a reflection of what we have received. And if somebody's getting a spoon from me, it's not about them. It's about me.
It's not saying something about the other person. It's saying something about us. And what it's saying about us is, I may have sung the praises of the, of the shovel, but I haven't yet fully received it in my life. Because he said, in the same way that I have so loved you, this is the way that you ought to love one another. And shovel receivers are shovel dispensers to the world. Now there's tension in that. Somebody feel tension rising that already? There's already an exception clause in that. Yeah, that's true, but not my uncle. That's true, but there, there's a limit to that. There's true, but you know, there's sometimes when you, you know, people don't even deserve the spoon. I know there's tension in that. We'll try to resolve that in a few weeks. That's not the point today. The point today is to the degree to which you and I receive what God has given us and what he is giving us, to that same degree, we are able to have meaningful and fulfilling relationships with ourselves and with other people. And I'm telling you, heaven's open today and the grace of God is being shoveled out in huge measure today. And there's an opportunity today for you and me to receive that. Why don't we receive it? Same thing we talked about before. We don't receive it because some voice told us that we're not worthy of the shovel of the grace and kindness and forgiveness of God. And I just wanna say to you, if that's you, you know, typically what we do, if you say, oh, I, don't just, I don't feel like I deserve that, I don't feel like I'm worthy of that, I don't feel like I should, you know, I don't measure up to that, and normally we come and put our arm around you and we hug you and we tell you, oh no, you really do. What we really need to say to you is, really? Because I think in that moment, there is a brokenness. And whenever there's a brokenness, we, we all do want to walk softly. And we do want to walk around you softly today. But if you're here today and you're saying, the reason I'm using the spoon is because that's about all I think I've got from God. And honestly, I don't even think I deserve a shovel from God. Well, can I just clarify just briefly today? If you don't think you believe deserve a shovel from God, the person who told you that is not God. The God who created you and created the world and sent his best and gave his son and entered humanity and poured out his life and gave fully and freely of everything he had, not to meet you halfway, but to meet you all the way. He didn't tell you you're not worthy. So you believe somebody else. What, your dad told you that you don't deserve the love and grace of God? Your dad told you that you're not pretty enough, that you're not smart enough, that you're not worthy enough, that you're not beautiful enough, and you believed that and said to God, I know what you are offering me today, but I have received and believed something else that trumps your voice today. I'm like, really? And so we wanna put our arms around you today and say, we feel your brokenness, but come on, seriously? You're gonna let that voice, the enemy's voice, somebody's voice, some lie in your life stop you from receiving what God is giving you today? I just wanna say lovingly as your pastor, I pray that you will get over yourself because really at the end of the day, that's all it is in our lives. It's false humility, 
its root is pride and it says, what I think about me is greater God than what you think about me. And I'm telling you today, you just need to take this shovel and, and just crush the enemy with it. And the way we do that is by saying, I'm not greater than you. My opinions are not greater than you. My mom's opinion is not greater than yours. That roommate's opinion is not greater than yours. My, my ex-girlfriend's opinion is not greater than yours. What I think about me is not greater than what you think about me. And if you think what you think about me and you wanna shovel your love and grace into my life, if you think I'm the prize of your eye, if you think I'm the apple of your eye, if you think I am more precious than anything on earth, if you value me enough to give all of yourself to me, then I'm, I'm telling you what I'm gonna do today. I'm not gonna just try to stop you in your tracks and tell you why that's not true. I'm gonna go, oh wow, God Almighty, the God of all creation. He thinks I am beautiful. He thinks I am worthy. He thinks I am worth everything that he has. He he thinks I am somebody worth investing in. He believes in me and has a plan for my life. And if I'm beautiful in the eyes of God, guess what? I'm beautiful. And if I'm lovable in the eyes of God, guess what? I'm lovable. And if I'm forgivable in the eyes of God, guess what? I'm forgivable. And if there's a mountain called grace, I'm gonna ask God, start shoveling it into my heart today because I believe that there are real things that we're not gonna glaze over, but there is a moment where we have to jump over and we have to take hold of the best heart available and agree with God. And to the degree that you are able to do that, I believe is gonna be the fundamental determiner of your ability to have meaningful relationships, successful relationships with yourself and with the people around you. And I just wanna to reiterate today, as an ambassador of Jesus, heaven is open, grace is open, forgiveness is open today. And there's enough shovels for all the holes in the house today that they all can be filled and a whole new life can be built and rise up out of the ground of people who know I am so loved. So loved. And that's gonna start making the spoon get bigger. It's a natural gospel result of the work of Christ in our lives.